0: Pass the time to Sister Vivian Chu to read the scripture.
1: Good morning, today's scripture reading is taken from Romans 15, 14 to 24. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some point, I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in this region, and since I've longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you, once I have enjoyed your company for a while. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Um, Well, Good morning, brothers and sisters. Uh, It's indeed um, a great privilege to be uh, with you this morning, uh, bringing God's word to you. Um, Can I get you to uh, keep your Bibles open on the passage that was just read, Um, the book of Romans, chapter 15, and we'll be looking at verses 14 to 24. Um, Let me lead us in prayer first. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you have Uh, revealed yourself in a scripture. Uh, We thank you that by reading and reflecting on your word, we can come to a better understanding of who you are. And by knowing you better, know how to serve you better. Father, I pray that you help me this morning to preach your word faithfully, clearly, and humbly. May I be forgotten at the end of the sermon and only the truth revealed in your word would remain in people's minds and hearts. And Father, we pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. If you've ever met a person in love, you know that all they talk about is his or her beloved. They do not get tired of talking about their love, how beautiful and lovely their beloved is, and how much they long for the time they can see their beloved again. It seems like they are breathing in and breathing out love it seems that love is what defines them. In our passage today, we see Apostle Paul like that. As we read the concluding section of the book of Romans, we see his great love for Christ and his passion to make him known. We see his great love for the gospel and his great love for the people. If we look at the passage for today carefully, and compare it with the introductory section of the chapter one, we see very interesting similarities. We see Paul commending the Christians in Rome. In chapter one, verse eight, we read, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is being reported all over the world. In our passage, looking at verse 14, Paul says, I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. We see Paul describing himself as the apostle to the Gentiles. In chapter 1, verse 5, we read, Through him we receive grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. In our passage, looking at verses 15 and 16. Because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. We see him expressing his desire to visit Rome. In chapter one verse 13 Paul says, I do not want you to be unaware brothers and sisters that I planned many times to come to you. In our passage verses 23 to 24 we read, since I have been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through. And finally, we see him talk about the things that hinder him from visiting them in Rome. In chapter one, verse 13, we read, I do not want you to be unaware brothers and sisters that i planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now. And in our passage, verse 22, this is why I have been uh, I have often been hindered from coming to you. These similarities these parallels help us to see these two passages, the introductory section in chapter one, with the passage we just read as the book ends for the whole letter. In a sense, Paul has begun the letter, he has expounded the gospel, he has talked about some of the implications for daily lives. And then he has gone full circle. Of course, here at the end, he explains himself in more detail. So let's look at our passage this morning, starting from verse 14. I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. We need to bear in mind that Paul had not visited them in Rome. Up to this point, he was not the one who proclaimed the gospel to them or the one who planted the church there. So, as he is about to explain why he has written this letter to them, he starts by commending the Roman Christians. The believers he is addressing are not new believers, they are mature Christians. And he lists three characteristics of them number one, they are full of goodness. The word used for goodness here has the sense of moral or ethical good. At first glance, such a description may surprise us. Didn't Paul, in the very same letter in chapter 2, say, As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away, they have together become worthless. There is no one who does good. Not even one, so what is the difference here, Well, the obvious answer is that these people are now Christians, they have come to put their faith in Christ, and now the Holy Spirit is working in them. To do good works, of course, we know that the good works, they do are not meant to help them earn their salvation, they are done in response to the salvation they have already been given. In fact, we see goodness as one of the gifts of the Spirit mentioned in Galatians chapter 5. We also read in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. In other words, the good works that we do are the evidence that we are indeed saved. And God is working in us by his spirit, and that can be seen in Roman Christians, they are full of goodness. Number two, filled with knowledge. The knowledge here used is not used in the academic sense. It is used to describe the correct understanding of Christian beliefs and doctrines one that would result in the right conduct it is the result of believing in and studying god's revelation in his word the scripture and number three competent to instruct one another this is another sign of being a mature christian as brothers and sisters in christ believers are to encourage and admonish one another They are to direct each other to the right path when they see one deviating from it. Paul's commendation of the Roman believers should not be seen as flattery. Paul is genuine. He says that he is convinced that they are indeed mature believers. In fact, calling them my brothers and sisters shows his pastoral heart. These three characteristics that I just mentioned can be used by us as well to evaluate ourselves as believers. Of course, we need to remember that they are not the result of our own endeavors, but the work of the spirit. Are we full of goodness? Is there any fruit in our lives that displays and demonstrates the work of the spirit in our hearts? Are we filled with knowledge? Are we regularly spending time reading and reflecting on God's revelation in His Word? Are we growing in our knowledge of Him? Are we competent to instruct one another? Do we care for and love our brothers and sisters in Christ to such an extent that we are willing to instruct and admonish them when the situation calls for it? Paul continues, verse 15, Yet I have written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. Here Paul, having commended the Roman believers, now explains why he has written to them. He acknowledges that he has written quite boldly on certain issues, such as the one that are dealt with in chapters 12 to 15. But he has not written to teach them something new, something that they have never heard before, but he wants, but rather he wants to remind them of those points. What Paul says is true of us as well. It doesn't matter how many years we have been Christians. It doesn't matter how mature we are as believers. We still need constant reminders. Here at CDPC, On every Sunday, we hear the gospel being preached faithfully. But why? Why every week? We all know the gospel. We all know that Jesus is our savior, that he has died for our sins, and that he was raised. That our sins are not forgiven and the rest. We know all that, but we are forgetful people. Daily life distracts us easily. We can come to church on Sunday hear God's word being read and taught to us, be spiritually refreshed, appreciate the gospel even more than before. And yet on Monday, when we get to work or university, or when we have to take care of our children and do the housework, we forget what we have heard. Our minds become obsessed with the details, problems, failures, and challenges of daily life. This is why gospel must be preached every Sunday from the pulpit. This is why we must regularly preach the gospel to ourselves. We need to be constantly reminded of the gospel and its implications for our lives. Paul then justifies his action to write to a group of believers whom he had never taught or preached to. He has the authority to do so because he has been directly chosen by God as the apostle to the Gentiles. God did not appoint him at all because of any merit in him that would qualify him for the task. It was purely an act of God's grace. And since Paul is now an apostle to the Gentiles, he has the authority to write to the Roman church. Paul continues, he gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God, so that Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Here, Paul is using the term priestly duty to refer to his ministry, but the word priestly doesn't mean what we normally take it to mean. In the Old Testament, the priests were from the tribe of Levi. They were involved in the rituals of the temple, and they were offering sacrifices for the sins of men. But Paul is not like that. He does not claim to be a priest. His priestly duty is proclamation of the gospel to the Gentiles. The last part of the verse indicates that Paul sees his ministry as fulfilling an Old Testament prophecy. In Isaiah chapter 66, verses 18 to 20, we read, and I, because of what they have planned and done, am about to come and gather the people of all nations and languages, and they will come and see my glory. I will set a sign among them, and I will send some of those who survived to the nations, to the Tarshish, Libyans, and Libyans, to Tubal and Greece, and to the distant islands, that have not heard of my fame or seen my glory. They will proclaim my glory among the nations, And they will bring all you people from all the nations to my holy mountain in Jerusalem as an offering to the Lord. On horses, in chariots and wagons, and on mules and camels, says the Lord. They will bring them As the Israelites bring their grain offering to the temple of the Lord in ceremonially clean vessels, Paul, an apostle to the Gentiles, has preached the gospel to them. And so, in a sense, is bringing the Gentiles as an acceptable offering to God. The Jews considered all Gentiles to be unclean. But Paul here is saying that when Gentiles have come to put their faith in Christ, they are now considered holy, sanctified, set apart by the Holy Spirit. Verse 17, therefore I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. You see, there was a time in Paul's life when he gloried in his accomplishment. He writes about it in the book of Philippians. Paul says, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church, and for righteousness based on the law, faultless. This list seems quite impressive from a human perspective. Yet after Paul encounters Christ, he realizes that all those accomplishments mean nothing. He continues in the book of Philippians by saying, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, For whose sake I have lost all things I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ Paul knows that his ministry from the very beginning has been made possible because of Christ Christ was the one who saved him Christ was the one who appointed him as an apostle and Christ is the one who has given him strength and patience so that he can persevere in serving for so many years, Paul no longer boasts about his accomplishment as something he has done on his own, he does not boast about his abilities, his talents or his wisdom, he does not boast about the power of rhetoric or his persuasiveness, he boasts and glories only in Christ, verse 18. I will not venture to speak of anything except that Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God. Paul here again is emphasizing that he would speak of nothing except of what Christ has done through him, namely bringing Gentiles to an obedience of faith. It is indeed a wonder that Christ used a proud, stubborn, self-righteous, murderer of God's people, and turned him into the greatest pioneer missionary. And Christ accomplished this through the apostle, words, and deeds. Both what Paul has preached and proclaimed, namely the gospel, as well as his life, have been instrumental. In the first half of verse 19 Paul mentions that his ministry among the Gentiles were accompanied by miracles. The term signs and wonders is used to describe such miracles, they are signs because they point beyond themselves to something else, and they are called wonders because of the effect they have on their spectators. We read about these miracles in the book of Acts. In chapter 13, we see the blinding of Elymas the sorcerer. In chapter 14, we see Paul and Barnabas being enabled by God to perform signs and wonders. Also in chapter 14, we see Paul healing a lame man in Lystra. In Acts chapter 16, we see Paul driving out the spirit from a woman who could predict the future. In Acts 16, we see violent earthquake that shook the foundation of the prison, opening all the prison doors and loosening everyone's chains. And in Acts 19, we see God doing extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even the handkerchiefs and the eight friends that had touched him were taken to the sick, and their illness was cured and the evil spirits left them. These signs and wonders performed a specific function at that time. They authenticated the apostleship of someone like Paul. In the same way, Jesus' miracles established his identity as the son of God, the miracles performed by the apostles showed that they were indeed apostles of Christ. Sadly, there is an unhealthy obsession with signs and wonders in the church today. There are people who keep looking for miracles to happen. There are people who think that unless a spiritual things accompany preaching of the gospel, people would not be converted. But we do not need signs and wonders. We have the full canon of a scripture. Of course, we do not put God in a box and say what he can and cannot do. God can bring about miracles today. And indeed, he does that sometimes. And there is nothing wrong for praying for something like healing. But God has not promised that miracles such as healing will always happen if we just ask for it. Faithful preaching of the simple message of the gospel is sufficient. Gospel is the power of God for salvation. Whether a sick person is healed or not, Jesus still died and rose again. The truth of Christianity does not depend on a supernatural healing, it rests firmly on the historical fact of the death and resurrection of Christ. Paul also attributes the results of his ministry to the Holy Spirit, not only he has performed these miracles through the power of the Holy Spirit, the result of his ministry is also due to the work of the spirit. We know that salvation is the work of the spirit in people's hearts. it is the spirit who changes the heart, it is with the a spirit. That the heart of a stone is removed and is replaced with the heart of flesh. It is the spirit that opens the hearts of people so that they can come to faith in Christ. Paul continues: "So from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ." Here, Paul is talking about the scope of his evangelistic work. Uh, Can I ask you to kindly share that slide? As you see here in this picture, Jerusalem is in the bottom right-hand corner and Illyricum is on the top left-hand side. Illyricum refers to the region that we now know as the former Yugoslavia and Albania. We know from the book of Acts that Paul did not do much evangelistic work in Jerusalem, although he visited on several occasions. Paul started his missionary journey in Antioch, not Jerusalem. And we also do not see any passage that shows Paul in the province of Illyricum. So the right way of understanding this verse is that Paul is saying that his ministry work was done in the area between these two points. You, um, you can um, take it off. Yes, when, uh, when Paul says that he has fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. He does not mean that every single individual in that area had heard the gospel. What he means is that Paul had covered important points in those areas that a significant number of people have come to faith, and that he has planted enough sound churches in those areas, he has done what he was supposed to do, the mission has been accomplished. Verse 20 Paul says, it has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation, rather as it is written, those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. Here, Paul says that his ministry involved preaching Christ where no one had done so. He does not mean that building on someone else's foundation is wrong. We know this because we read in the uh, letter of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5. Paul says, what after all is Apollos, and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned each to his task. I planted the church, sorry, I planted the seed. Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. It is God who assigns different tasks to different people, and they are all good. Paul here is merely stating that this was his God given mission. God had chosen him to be a pioneer missionary. Paul then quotes Isaiah chapter 52 verse 15. Douglas Moo in his commentary on the book of Romans mentions three reasons for why Paul quotes from Isaiah. First, it justifies Paul's decision not to build on another's foundation for the text speaks of bringing a message to those who have not heard. Second, it accords with Paul's sense of calling to the Gentiles, since the ones who have not had it announced to them and have not heard are kings and nations. And third, it alludes to the content of Paul's gospel. For Isaiah 52 verse 15 is part of the famous fourth servant passages. And the hymn concerning whom the Gentiles have not been told is the servant of the Lord. Paul's pioneering church planting ministry among the Gentiles is fulfilling the Old Testament predictions about Gentiles coming to see and understand the message about the servant of the Lord. Verse 22. This is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. Here we finally understand the reason why Paul was hindered from visiting the Christians in Rome up to this point. Paul had been occupied in evangelizing this massive region. Over the span of 10 years and three missionary journeys, he was fulfilling the mission that Christ had given him. Verse 23, but now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I have been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there, after I have enjoyed your company for a while. Now that Paul has completed what his mission was in those regions, he can finally visit Rome. He also states his plan about bringing this good news to other regions, which in this case is Spain. He plans to stay for a while in Rome before moving to Spain. He looks forward to having fellowship with the believers in Rome and receiving assistance from them which most probably is financial. So how does this passage apply to us? Well, first of all, like Apostle Paul, we should have a strong passion for the gospel. We should desire this wonderful news to reach the remotest part of the earth. One way we can do this is by supporting missionaries who would travel to different parts of the world bringing this message of the gospel to people. In Romans chapter three, sorry, in Romans chapter 10, verses 13 to 15, Paul says this, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Paul's argument here is like a chain and every piece requires the next piece. So if we read this passage from the end and in reverse, it would be something like this, local churches Need to send missionaries. Local churches need to send missionaries. These missionaries should be able to preach to the people. When people are preached to, they hear the gospel. When people hear the gospel, some will come to believe in Christ. And when they believe in Christ, they will call on the name of the Lord and be saved. Another way you can contribute is by generously giving toward the various endeavors that our church is involved with, especially during this month, which is the mission month. Last, but certainly not the least, we need to remember that financially giving toward mission work and engaging in mercy ministry, though very important, do not exempt us from doing what Jesus has commanded us we are not like an apostle we are not an apostle like paul yet jesus has given us the great commission as well we read in first peter chapter 2 verse 9 what you are a chosen people a royal priesthood a holy nation god's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into this wonderful light. My brothers and sisters, we are a royal priesthood. Like Apostle Paul, we are to be a witness to Christ, both in what we say and how we live our lives. You see, when it comes to salvation, as in any other area, our God does not need us. He is absolutely sovereign and he can bring people to himself directly. He can save people the same way he saved Paul with no intermediary. In fact, many of us hope and pray that he would save individuals by letting them have a road to Damascus experience. Yet looking at the Bible as well as the history of the church, we realize that that rarely happens. Although God is perfectly capable of doing that, he has chosen to reach out to people through us. Since the very beginning, Christ has given us the great commission to make disciples of all nations, and we cannot exclude anyone from our evangelism. It is not just a command to obey. It is a privilege. It should blow our minds that the creator of the universe has chosen us, weak, frail, sinful human beings to be fellow workers with him in bringing the good news of salvation to the people who are perishing without it. Can I encourage you to examine your heart in the light of this? Do you have a passion to make the gospel known? Do you genuinely love your non-christian family members, friends, colleagues, and neighbors, and want them to come to a saving knowledge of Christ. Do you feel compassion for the people who watch past you on your way to work, university, or the supermarket, realizing that apart from the gospel, they face eternal punishment in hell, apart from the love, grace, and mercy of God. Reflecting on our own condition before God will fuel our love for others. As those who have been saved by the gospel, sustained by the gospel, shaped and transformed by the gospel, how can we be quiet about that gospel? It is true that evangelism is one of the gifts of the spirit. Not every one of us is like Billy Graham, who could captivate an audience of tens of thousands of people. But we do not need to be Billy Graham to be able to share the gospel with others. We do not need to talk to 10,000 people. We are called to be faithful in witnessing, even if it is to just one individual. We do not need to travel thousands of kilometers to another country to share the gospel. We just need to go to our next door neighbor. Living in a country like Malaysia is such a blessing. Within a very small neighborhood, you will find people of all different religions. Your mission field is not another country. Your mission field is the neighborhood that you live in. We need to be intentional and make use of the opportunities that God gives us to share the gospel. We are to love Christ, love the gospel, and love the people. Let's pray. Um, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for um, these wonderful truths revealed in your word. Father, we thank you for the privilege that you have given us to be witnesses to you and to the message of the gospel. Father, we pray that you help us be thankful for this wonderful privilege that you have given us. We pray that you grant us opportunities every day to be able to share the gospel with those who have not heard it. Father, we know that salvation is ultimately the work of your spirit in people's hearts, not us. We are commanded to be faithful, truthful respectful and loving, and leave the results in your hands. Father, we pray that you will be working in the hearts of the people that we talk to, that they would also come to know Christ. Father, give us a renewed passion for the gospel and for the people who are lost without it. Father, we pray that we do all these things for Your glory and Your glory alone, and we praise You in Jesus' precious name.